Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this special live edition of Sorry Not Sorry. I am your host, Alyssa Milano. So around the world, the COVID pandemic is as deadly as ever. Vaccines are wildly available in some countries and then completely out of reach to others. Here at home, tens of millions are refusing to take the vaccination. Violent protests are erupting at school board meetings and even children's hospitals against mask mandates. And more than 630,000 Americans have died from the disease. To discuss all of this, I've invited Dr. Peter Otez back on the show. Peter, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, Dr. Hotez, for those that don't know, he is an infectious disease specialist and dean for the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine. He and I have worked together around the world for years, and he is one of the leading experts in preventing infectious diseases. Now, later on in the show, we'll be taking your questions about the pandemic, you meaning the audience. So if you have a question you'd like answered, if you see the little Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, just click on that to ask your question. And Peter, welcome back to the show. It's great to see you again, Alyssa. Um, You know, when we've been working out together for almost 20 years, starting with diseases of the poor, neglected tropical diseases. And I don't think we ever would have thought, well, well, you you look amazing. And, uh, but I'm definitely an old guy now. And, um, and now we're dealing with COVID-19. I don't think any of us would have predicted this, but um, here we are. And it's great to be working with you. Even even being a doctor of infectious diseases, you still could not have imagined that we'd be living through a pandemic? Well, you know, we started, you know, work, you know, around about 10 years ago, while we were working on neglected tropical diseases of the poor, we adopted a coronavirus vaccine program. We, we began working with a group at the New York Blood Center because nobody cared about coronavirus vaccines, just like the pharma companies didn't care about neglected tropical disease vaccines. And that's when we showed that the spike protein is the target of the of, of a potential vaccine and how you deliver the spike protein, how you measure virus neutralizing antibodies. So all of that went into our current COVID-19 vaccines. Now we're developing one for global health that's now being produced in India so uh, and elsewhere. So um, In some ways, you know, we got into coronavirus vaccines because we had seen SARS in 2002, 2003. That was called severe acute respiratory syndrome. That was a serious, that was the first serious pandemic coronavirus. Then there was Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome that rose out of the uh, Arabian Peninsula 2012. We said, you know what, it's just a matter of time before we see a third one. And that's why we began making coronavirus vaccines. And guess what? Right on cue, that's when... COVID-19 hit. And unfortunately, 
um, I, I, we still haven't put in place the necessary things that we need to do to prevent a fourth coronavirus pandemic or a fifth. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, we're a, a year and a half, hard to believe, into this pandemic. And I feel like this spring seems so hopeful as, you know, the vaccines were rolling out. But now it just seems like we're in deep trouble again. How did we get back to this place? You know, you know, Mark, back in March and April, maybe I was even speaking to you. I felt really good about things because we were our vaccine was advancing and we were doing such a good job. Right. The Biden administration put a lot of federal infrastructure in to get people vaccinated, especially in low income neighborhoods, assuring everybody had access. And we were hitting on all cylinders and we were vaccinating, you know, more than a, you know, a couple, you know, they started a million people at uh uh, you know, a, a, a day. And I said, you know, we got to do better than that. And they did. And they really accelerated it. And then it all kind of stopped, especially here in the South. It continued up in the North, but then it hit a wall um, starting around May and June. And we were, had trouble convincing anybody to be vaccinated. And that's why we've got such low vaccination rates in the Southern U.S., um, and here in Texas, it's actually among older Americans, we're doing okay. But among the young people, adolescents, young adults, basically no one wanted to take the vaccine. And now with this Delta variant, it's just ripping through populations. And we're seeing this massive acceleration of hospitalizations. And it's people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who are getting sick and even dying. And it's just so tragic. I, You know, I, I think back at the beginning of this. And as you know, I, I had COVID. But when I think when I think back at the way we messaged this in the beginning, I think that that we didn't do a great job. We meaning those of us who have platforms. Um, I think that we messaged uh, the vaccination to be the silver bullet. And I think what we wound up doing was a disservice to asking communities for help during this time and that the, the vaccination itself was just one piece of this. But I think that we all felt like, well, once we get the vaccination, this will be over or just get vaccinated and this will be over. And what that did was is when we did start seeing these whatever quote unquote breakthrough cases, I think it gave people who were vaccine hesitant to begin with reason to just be like, you know what? Uh, why should I get it if people are just getting sick anyway? Yeah, what happened was, you know, we we had a number of polls from the Kaiser Kaiser Family Foundation and Monmouth and Quinnipiac, all the usual polling places. Right. They identified two groups that were really vaccine hesitant. One were um, uh, were labeled Republicans or Trump voters, and the other was were the Bi the BIPOC communities, you know, black and black and brown communities, and so the Biden administration put a lot of effort into this, particularly for the BIPOC communities, you know, the black and brown communities. They really um, uh, worked hard worked hard to get down those vaccine hesitancy rates, and then the Rockefeller Foundation stepped up, and I'm on one of their advisory committees now, and. And it worked. We actually, God did a lot better at convincing people of color to get vaccinated. And that saved a lot of lives. But 
the ones we couldn't reach were the conservative groups, the the, the Trump voters who, and and they dug in, and then something terrible happened. You saw members, you know, and and it, by the way, it's not fun for for me to talk about Republicans and Democrats. You know, my all of my training as a physician scientist is you're not right. supposed to talk about Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives. But I don't know how else to delink the anti-science from it unless you talk about it. So that's what we started to see, this defiance. And it had been building since around 2015, and I've been writing and speaking about it, but it really took off. And then, you know, that horrible weekend CPAC conference, uh, the conservative mm-hmm. conference where you had, you know, one member, I think it was Marjorie Taylor Greene said, you know, this is um, – um, this is nothing, or she was tweeting, this is nothing but a power grab from the Biden White House to exercise control over us. And then you saw another member of Congress say, this is members of Congress are saying this. First, they're going to make us get vaccinated. Then they're going to take our guns and Bibles away. And and that was awful. And then you had a senator, Senator Johnson from Wisconsin, hold these town hall meetings and roundtables on adverse events around vaccinations to kind of exaggerate the 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 impact of of the adverse effects of vaccines and then then the conservative news channels just piled on it was night after night on Fox News and, and others Newsmax you know basically doing all they can to undermine confidence in vaccine and and it worked in in that pyrrhic way and and that's why you see you know the vaccination rates go along a very sharp political divide, a, a strong mm-hmm. blue-red di- divide. And and there's a reason why vaccination rates are the lowest in Louisiana and East Texas and Mississippi and and going across into the nor- northern part of Florida. And guess what? That's where – and Delta ex- is exploiting that. And so what you're seeing are rates of infection now that are the highest they've ever been through this whole pandemic. Right now – Alyssa, states like Mississippi and, and Louisiana and Northern Florida, they have the highest COVID-19 transmission rates, rates in the world, right? Not not just in the U.S., in the world. I mean, you know, it, it just exceeded Botswana. I mean, that that's what we're we're talking about. And and it's here. And also it's it's and the hospitalizations, it's all almost almost all unvaccinated individuals. And this is just a self-inflicted. I don't know whatever metaphor you want to use, self-inflicted wound, unforced error. Uh, it's, but it is so tragic and so demoralizing, and and it's demoralizing for those those taking care of these individuals, especially the nurses. You know, they they're you know it's heartbreaking. They're the, it's the nurses that are holding the hand the hands of young people in their last dying breath because they're in isolation, and and you know then they'll go off shift and they'll go into. You know, you you pick your store, and and everyone's not wearing masks, and that's so demoralizing as well. And it's it's just it's just beyond awful. So the question then becomes, how do you reach those groups? What can you do? And I think, you know, I think we're going to try to push vaccine mandates as far as you can in terms of employer mandates. I wanted to hold off for as long as possible because I thought that would just rev up the defiance and give them another cause celeb, right, to, 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 for the conservative news outlets. But now I think, you know, we have no choice. So I, we're seeing employer mandates, federal mandates as far as you can take them, like for the military. But there are limits of federal power. And, you know, the states still control most of the vaccine policy. And, 
and and the rates are really low. So if you look, for instance, among older Americans, the differences between North and South are not that dramatic. It's around 80% in the South, 95 to 99% in the North. So there's a difference, but it's not a dramatic difference. Where the bottom falls out are the young people. We're looking at vaccination rates among uh, teenagers, for instance, 12 to 17 you know, 75% in some of the New England states, 25% in the South, right? And But again, is this because we mis-messaged this I, pandemic I, I, in the beginning I, I, to be like, it's not affecting, it's I, not impacting I, young people? Here, here's, here's what I think. I think, the, you know, I was on Zoom calls for the last, for, for like, like a lot of people, I was on Zoom calls for the last year and a half because we knew there was going to be a vaccine hesitancy refusal problem. And the problem was, we kept on focusing on how we're going to amplify the message, carry the message. And every time, because, you know, I've been going up against these anti-vaccine groups for years because I have a daughter with autism, my youngest daughter, and wrote that book, Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism, that may be public enemy number one. I said, look, it's important that you're amplifying message, accelerating messages, but your messages are still messages in the bottle in the Atlantic Ocean because the disinformation war, the right. campaign is so pervasive and strong. And until you show an appetite to start dismantling the disinformation empire, it's not going to be heard. And, yeah. and that's where, you know, I departed from the Biden administration. They just weren't willing to take that on. It was either was too daunting or too too scary or 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 whatever. And and now we're in this situation where we've got you know, three groups that are driving this in the disinformation. One is, of course, the 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 political extremism on the right and this sort of tribal call to not get vaccinated, which is so awful. I, th I think that's the worst. Um, my colleague uh, Imran Ahmed heads the um, Center for Countering Digital Hate. It's amazing we have to have an organization called the Center for Countering Digital Hate, right? But they've identified what they call the disinformation dozen, 12 non-governmental groups that are responsible responsible for about 65% of the messages. And then the third one, which surprises people, is the Russian government. So the Putin government right. has been using anti-vaccine, anti-science messages as a wedge issue to divide our country. So again, the you know, Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General, is just a wonderful man, he's a gr really great Surgeon General, you know, got up there and said, we're going to do something about Facebook. And I said, well... Yeah, Facebook is an, is an important carrier of the message, but that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is the sources of the messages, and that's right. where, where where nobody wants to venture into at this point. And the weaponization of science. Yeah, well, well, there's the even message. a term now. A colleague of mine at George Washington University calls it uh, uh, weaponized health communication, which is exactly what it is. It's... You mentioned Botswana before, and I, I do think it's really important that we start looking at this as not just, you know, a problem in this country, but the global problem. And with that, we need global solutions. Um, can you just give us like a quick comparison with what is happening with vaccine availability here 
in the U.S. and wealthy nations compared to what is happening in the developing world? Well, the soundbite is we're vaccinating the northern hemisphere and not vaccinating the southern hemisphere. I mean, uh, for all practical purposes, the African continent is unvaccinated, not getting vaccinated. The smaller low-income countries of Southeast Asia are not receiving vaccines. V countries like Vietnam, Cambodia, nothing. You know, it's it's a desperate situation. Malaysia, and then Latin America is not getting vaccinated, um, and and that's a huge issue. And and so what we're we're seeing is this very sharp north, a different type of north-south divide. And mm. you know, part of it. Um, was unfortunately done by design. It, we know that we the, the you know the the global policymakers were so focused on innovation and making things like mRNA and adenovirus vaccines, and they were good vaccines. The problem is when you focus entirely on a new technology. I think nobody really took a step back and said, hmm, you know, when you do a brand new technology, maybe there's a learning curve to know how to scale it up and make billions of it. And as obvious that, or to as that get, sounds, get billions, so, to get billions, yeah. In, well, so everybody arms. was so focused on on the the cool technologies, you know. And I sometimes say the shiny new toys, and they are good vaccines. Look, I got the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, and I'm, I'm grateful. It may have saved my life, but but there was never it would, there was, you were never going to be able to scale that up for right. low and middle income countries by this year. And and that's where I got really frustrated because that's what we do. We make global health recombinant protein vaccines. And we said, look, you're, you know, you need a vaccine, you need a, you know, it's fine to, you know, keep pushing on the mRNA and adenovirus technologies, but we've got a recombinant protein vaccine, same technology that's used to make the hepatitis B vaccine all over the world. It's made in uh, microbial fermentation and yeast. There's no upper limit to the amount you can make. You know, help us scale this up. And we just got, we just couldn't get anywhere. And so now what we're doing is, you know, now we're getting calls from countries who are desperate for, for, mm. vac for quality vaccines because a lot of the inactivated virus vaccines from China are not working well against the Delta variant. And, and, and so that's not adequate. So we have a great vaccine. So now we've, so what we're doing is we're doing these uh, one-off uh, discussions with individual countries, ministries of science and health. Now we have a recombinant, so our recombinant protein vaccine now was, we licensed it non-exclusively to Biological E in Hyderabad, India. They're now making 100 million doses a month. And it looks great. And so that's India. Now we're now we've licensed it to Indonesia to Biopharma to make the halal version, um, which which is really important. We can tell you how you make a vaccine halal in their scale. They're going to scale it up, and maybe they can make it for OIC countries, Muslim majority countries. And now we're talking to at least half a dozen other countries to do the same. And it's, I mean, it's and, so and in its own weird way, it's working, but. You know, when you look, I mean, I had to spend the first few months of the pandemic, you know, raising money, you know, to, and, you know, fortunately, we've been able to raise some from Texas philanthropies, like the Clayberg Foundation, Tito's Vodka came through for us. So if you have any, I love Tito's. so if you have a vodka, if you have a vodka drink tonight, make sure it's with Tito's um, and, and the JPB Foundation in New York. So they came through for, but, 
if you think about how crazy it is, all of this discussion about global governance and U.S. commitment to global health, it just wasn't there for us. So we, and but we did it, and and now it's moving forward. But it's it's been a very it's so frustrating, frustrating to hear you talk about how um, nations are begging for the vaccination. And I read just the other day that Alabama had to destroy 65,000 doses of the vaccine because it expired and people weren't taking them, despite that state and many of its neighbors being among the most impacted states in the country. Yeah, I don't know why so, we're still destroying vaccine. It's a, for me, it's a crime against <laughs> humanity, right? Give it to give, you know, give a third dose if people need yes. it or or. Or whatever. I mean, but don't don't throw it away, please. And how could we be throwing it away when other countries just can't get it? No. Um, what? So do so you think? so. Let me just say something about this whole. Ex- so you know, please. you're seeing a lot of, you know, well-intentioned articles and things like that saying the U.S. needs to share its vaccines in lieu of third immunizations. And I say it's that's a little simplistic. In fact, I have a piece coming out in the L.A. Times this Sunday about it to say, look, you know, yes, of course, we should do a better job sharing vaccines. And yes, if we give a third immunization, we should commit to purchasing and donating a share for every third immunization that we do. But even then, you know, when you're talking about 6 billion doses that we need to immunize 2 to 3 billion people in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, you know, donating 100 million doses is still a drop in the bucket. And so right. what I've been saying is what the, we need the Biden administration to do is, you know, both, you know, yes, shared doses, but at the same time, start making our vaccine or ones like it for low and middle income country. I mean, the amount of I mean, our, our vaccine, we think, is looking at $1.50 a dose, right? So it's about the least expensive. You know, you make a couple of billion doses, was that $3 billion? It's you know, compared to all the money that's been spent to vaccinate the world, you know, vac- vaccinate part of the world, it's, right. it's, I, I mean, it'll, it'll, the return on investment would be times a hundredfold, you know, if you did that. Um, and I by wanna, the way, we I don't, pat- jump- we didn't, we don't patent it. Um, no patents. I mean, we'll, we'll so give it away. So the technology is available for other, we're, we're, for other we're people. We're giving too. it away. In fact, we're probably spending money to help countries with the technology transfer to make it happen. Well, coming back to the United States, um, we've seen a huge, and you you touched on this a little bit, a a politicization of medicine and science. And I don't know about you, but it feels like the dark ages again. And I know a lot of hate has been directed at you from people who certainly never went to medical school, but think that they know better. So my question is, how do we reach those people to get them to take measures to protect themselves and the rest of us? Yeah, it's it's this tribalism, right? It's this, you know, somehow the the first of us far right wing extremism, but it's now cutting across a good segment of the GOP that 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 allegiance to the party. Part of that is not protecting yourself by getting vaccinated, which is, you know, obviously, I mean, it's obviously so self-defeating. And so trying to yank the anti-science out of the, out of the GOP and out of the far right. And, but it's tough. You know, the other thing that's happening, it's not only, 
you know, anti-vaccine attitudes, it's aggression against scientists. I mean, obviously they target Tony, Tony Fauci, and but they go after me. You know, they say the army of patriots is going to hunt me down and this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, why do you need an army of patriots? It's just me and Anne and Rachel and the cat. I would think one or two patriots is more than enough. I'm mean, joking, but it's 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 crazy, right? I mean, it's uh, I know, um, I know. So I know. you know, and I mean, look, you just look at the news. There have been violent protests at school board meetings, and you know, outside outside children's hospitals, uh, fighting against mask mandates. Uh, I know it. So um, it is. So, so disheartening. It is so heartbreaking to see Some, that. Somehow we have to get um, the some of the members of the U.S. Congress who've said such awful things, somehow we need to get them on board. I don't know how you do that. Um, and and the conservative news outlets, we've, you know, it's, you know, I think the daytime anchors of places like Fox are fine. You know, I've, I was going on them up until recently, but it's the nighttime guys, you know, just say the most outrageous things and people believe it and people are trusting of it and trying to and appeal are, to their people better are buying humanity. advertising people are buying advertising yeah, absolutely advertising absolutely on on those channels right. which is another thing that i think that we need to sort of dip into to try to chip away at that at that that power for anyone that might be listening to us right now who and this might seem like a really silly thing to ask, but can you just explain to people who don't believe in the science of masks how and why they work and if people should actually still be wearing them? Yeah, I mean, this this virus is, 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 is contracted by aerosol uh, inhalation in addition to some droplet contact. And, and one of the ways, and you're shedding virus from your, if you're unvaccinated, you're shedding enormous amounts of virus in your nose and mouth. And when you speak, you know, these micro droplets, these aerosols are coming out of your mouth and nose. And, but if you cover it up with a mask, you'll, you'll dramatically reduce the amount of virus you spread in the environment. And if you're an uninfected person that you're standing with in the same room as has a mask, that will decrease the likelihood they'll acquire the virus. And those two together, both the shedder and the adopter of the virus, if they're both masks, the rate of transmission goes exponentially down, dramatically down. Right. And, and that's why it works. And they do work. And that's why we need kids masked in the classroom. Look, nobody likes it. No one's thrilled by it. But, you know, if, if that's what is required to prevent kids from getting sick, that's what you need to do. And this Delta variant is so much more transmissible from anything we've seen before. It's three to four times more transmissible than the original variant. So, and, and even the, the UK variant, which was also pretty transmissible. So what it means, if you want to keep our kids doing in-person classrooms, it, it, it means that everybody in that school needs to have a mask on, maybe the exception of some of the special needs kids who can't do it. Um, and everyone over the age of 12 has to be vaccinated. That's, just the way it has to be. So, you know, when you've got this this level of transmission going on, it you can't do that many things well, right? There's there's no margin mm. for error. And so if mm. if the number one priority is to do in-person classes, you can do it, but it has to be your number one priority. It means everybody masked, everyone who's vaccine right. eligible vaccinated. And 
And then you might be able to get through it. And I think places like Vermont where they're doing things like that or Massachusetts up in the Northeast, it'll work. But here in the South where there's this defiance and even uh, public officials are are discrediting masks and things like that, then mm-hmm. we're already seeing what's happening, right? I mean, schools are opening. You know, everyone is stamping their feet saying we're going to do in-person classes, and but no masks, and so we're not going to mandate vaccines. And guess what? Within a week, everybody gets sick, and then they have to go back to virtual well, learning. Well, yeah, I two mean, days. My kids were in school for two days, and there was a, a positive test that came back. Um, luckily, it was a false positive, but two days in, and it was it was mass. Yeah, this is uh, this is hysteria. hard when you've got this Delta variant. So. That's why well, I want to get to some questions from the audience because sure. there's some really great questions. Um, and thank you to everyone who's joining us today. Um, Daniel asks, do we need to take the booster from the same manufacturer as our original shot? Probably. Um, and the only, and the reason is, although it may, well, it may work, there's not a lot of data for it. So if you've gotten the two doses of Pfizer, get boosted with Pfizer. And if you got two doses of Moderna, get boosted with Moderna. Now there's some data that just came out uh, yesterday and today about the J&J vaccine, a second dose of the J&J vaccine. So I think that'll be forthcoming. And then I get asked, well, what about if I got J&J? Should I get, what if I wanted to get switched to the Pfizer or Moderna? And, And the only problem, and it may work, the only problem is there's not a lot of data for it. There's some data mixing and matching Pfizer and the AstraZeneca vaccine. The AstraZeneca is similar to the J&J, but, but we don't know that for certain. So we need better clarity from the White House. Uh, Isa asks, what is the difference between the CDC vaccine recommendation and the FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine? Well, the FDA, you know, goes through the regulatory approval and to have a fully approved vaccine is is a really important milestone. What then the CDC will do is um, make rec- make potential recommendations on what to do after it's licensed. So, for instance, you know, once something's licensed, a physician can uh, write an off-label prescription, for instance, um, that and so what the FDA doesn't do is regulate medical practice. So it's important to have a public health agency offer opinions and guidelines for what to do. So for instance, um, you know, some physicians will now write prescriptions for third doses, jumping the gun on the recommendation mm-hmm. coming. So the ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices from the CDC will offer an opinion on that. Or you know, there might be parents who are desperate for their 10-year-old or 11-year-old to get vaccinated. Mm. Can you have the pediatrician write an off-label prescription for a 10 to 11-year-old? It was interesting that the, the vaccine was not approved for 12 to 15-year-olds yet. So they haven't they don't have all of the data that they want. So it's only 16 and up. And the FDA took what I thought was the unusual step on saying, mm-mm, ixnay on, we frown upon, you know, people writing prescriptions for under 12 uh, at hmm. this point, until we can move forward on that. So along those lines. Uh, Diana asks, what are recommendations on boosters for long haulers? Well, I think, you know, the, first of all, you know, it's not a fait accompli that the recommendation will come through for the third boost. The White House has said they're going to, you know, ask the FDA and 
CDC to move forward. But here, here's the, the confusing part. Um, the the pr- level of protection against infection for the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine after seven, eight months has gone down from over 90% to 40 to 50%. So there's seen quite a number of breakthrough infections, but the vast majority of those are with no symptoms or mild symptoms. And the, the supporting data to say that there's also breakthrough hospitalizations is not quite there yet. And and so the question then is that because they're not reporting well, or they're not monitoring it. So the problem is we're not getting a lot of reporting data out of the CDC. To I mean, what they should have is every major medical center on the CDC website. We should list look at the hospitalizations. What's the percentage of vaccinated versus unvaccinated? And um, we're not seeing that. So the question then is, you know, if, clearly if we're seeing a lot of breakthrough hospitalizations then it's very important to boost. But there's debate in the scientific community. If you're not only seeing breakthrough infections, not hospitalizations, what does that mean? Well, what the White House said was, well, even if you're not seeing that yet, the fact that you're seeing so many breakthrough infections and and efficacy is maybe declined from over 90% to 40 to 50%, that's the tip of the spear. And it's inevitable that you're going to start seeing breakthrough hospitalizations. Others in the scientific community are saying, mm, I'm not so sure that's necessarily the case. So I think that kind of debate is going on. And, and then, and if that's not confusing enough, you have people to say, well, look, you know, even, even if it's not protecting against hospitalizations, I don't want to get a breakthrough infection. I don't want to get long COVID. Um, so I still want the third immunization. And so I think the bottom line is now that the White House has made this statement, they've come out strongly in favor of a third immunizations it's going to be hard to put that one back i think it's it's going to happen and and um and and i in th- the hope is that it's going to restore not only prevention of symptomatic illness and, and ensure that you're getting longer durable protection but that you're um, also going to halt the asymptomatic transmission because we had that for a while and then maybe we can vaccinate our way out of this epidemic as well if enough people ever get vaccinated and if i've thoroughly confused you um it's it's because it because it's because it is complicated yeah it's complicated um and it should be complicated right Part of the problem is, you know, it's not a, you know, I mean, you, you do these amazing UNICEF commercials, right? But um, it's not a 30-second UNICEF commercial. There's a lot of complexity there, and it takes time. And right. we often don't get that level of complexity and communication from our federal officials. So that's why I try to fill in the gaps and do things like this. Or from social media. Right. There's no nuance in social so media. It's, it's part well, of it's the hard reason to say why all this I started in, this podcast. It's hard to say all that in 280 characters, right? So it's Right. Uh, Exactly. Uh, Christopher and Rob both asked, what can we expect from new variants emerging if the world is not vaccinated? Well, you know, you know, the Delta Delta is a pretty bad one, right, in terms of level of transmissibility. And there may be some partial resistance to vaccination as well. So it's about as bad as you get. Um, the, the worry, of course, 
is that with continued mutations, you get one that's completely resistant to vaccines. And and I don't think that's going to happen because, you know, when you when you do see the mutations in the spike protein, which is how all the vaccines mm. work, you see the same motifs repeating itself. It's always the same three or four or five amino acid substitutions in the 501 position, the 484 position, the 417 position. So I don't think that's going to happen. But clearly, you know, I think the other point that's really important to make is one of the fake talking points from anti-vaccine groups is that vaccines select for vaccine resistance. And and it, it ignores the fact that alpha arose, which is the UK variant, arose in the UK mm-hmm. before any vaccines were available. Delta arose out of unvaccinated populations in India. So it's clearly the unvaccinated populations where the new variants arise. And that's why it's important to get vaccinated. Well, there are many people in the chat uh, who are asking if you can provide some messaging that has been effective in convincing vaccine-hesitant people to get the vaccine. Well, I think, so this is another important point because people focus a lot on the on the talking points, but now I think with these groups, you know, especially from the conservative right, it's not even a matter of the talking points. They use that as an excuse but again, it's this political defiance, political allegiance. That's the problem. Right. So, for instance, everyone was focusing, hey, we've got to get these vaccine approved because they're saying they're released for emergency use. They're they're rushed. They're not tested for safety. I'm holding out until the vaccines are approved. Yeah, I said, I don't think that's going to be that much of a game changer. I think it's going to be more the employers will feel more comfortable doing mandates. So I just have a piece up from the British Medical Journal out today I put up on my Twitter site um, that basically says, I don't think it's going to do that much for vaccine hesitancy. So so a lot of people want to do a deep dive in the weeds around the specific fake talking points. And I do think that's useful for a lot of people. But for others, there's about a list of a dozen fake talking points. And it's like playing whack-a-mole. You know, you knock one down, they'll just revert to another one. But among them is now that it's approved, these are not through emergency use. I think that's useful. The big one that I try to diffuse is, you know, the message coming from um, conservative groups is that, hey, if you're young and healthy and fit and you go to the gym every day, you know, you're you're fine. You're just going to be like the flu or you'll feel sick for a day. You don't need that vaccine. And it's not true. And the proof is all of these young, healthy, fit people now in hospitals across the southern part of the United States, it's not a substitute for virus neutralizing antibody. This Delta variant is so aggressive. um, You need to get vaccinated. Um, So we have a lot of questions about what to expect from the variants. Um, And also, can we ever achieve herd immunity with all these variants? Um, I think, you know, I don't even like using that term anymore because that's another term that's been so misused by the right. political. Remember Rand, Senator Paul, Rand Paul saying 22% herd immunity. They threw out all these fake low numbers yeah. to convince people that now they can open everything up. And and, uh, and, uh, and and so I don't even use the term herd immunity. What I say is when you've got a virus that's this transmissible, and there's a simple formula sometimes people use. It's one minus one over the reproductive number of the virus. And on that basis, you know, we're probably going to have to look at 85 to 90% of the population vaccinated. So it's like measles, right? 
That's what we do for measles, 95% of the population. And that's global, right? Well, that's in the, well, let's talk about the U.S. for now. Um, okay. So for the U.S., you know, to, to eliminate measles, we got a well over 90% of the population vaccinated. So it's doable. This is almost as, not quite as transmissible as measles, but more than anything else we've seen uh, in terms of COVID-19. So we're getting to those kinds of numbers. So it's a really high bar. 80 to 85% of the population vaccinated, not 85% of the adults, 85% of the whole population vaccinated means essentially all of the adults and all of the adolescents. Well, it's happening now in Vermont and Massachusetts, but it's not going to happen down here. So, you know, that it's a, it's a pretty high bar. So Tony Fauci a couple of days ago said, you know, we doesn't know if we're going to be end this until 2022 I would say it a little differently. I'd say it'll end when we can get everybody fully vaccinated. And, and that's that's what we've got to aspire to do is, is convince our brothers and sisters from the conservative groups, especially to, um, to get vaccinated so we can end this epidemic in the United States. And of course, we'll do our best to pursue that globally. Um, well, that's a bummer. <laughs> Uh, let's, let's leave everyone on a positive note. Um, what gives you hope in this situation? What, where do you find your hope? Well, I find hope, first of all, through people like you, you know, who are so committed to this and, and, you know, my colleagues in the scientific community have been so, you know, generous sharing data. I mean, we've, as scientists, we've been sharing data, putting up, information on preprint servers like I've I've never seen. And so that's mm. been and mm. and I do, you know, a regular Zoom call with some great colleagues like like Mike Osterholm and Stephen Hahn, former FDA commissioner, Peggy Hamburg. These are just, you know, absolutely you know, uh Penny Heaton, formerly of the Gates Foundation. These are brilliant people and and that's been really uh gratifying. Um I've been really have very happy with the quality of the science journalism and the science journalists who have been working so hard to get this right. Um, and I spend a lot of time with them and a lot of them don't have a science background. So they've had a steep learning curve, but they've really come through, I think in, in, in a big way. Um, and the, and the fact that the spike protein is a soft target of the virus and it's not that complicated to make a vaccine. It's, it's all a matter of, getting people to accept it. And, and hopefully we can move forward on our vaccine and start vaccinating the world. But so it's that last piece of, piece of resistance, you know, among, among conservative groups that somehow we have to find a, a way to reach. And, and I'm trying to reach out to conservative colleagues as much as possible and go on their podcasts. And some have said, yes, others have said no. And, and um, so if Newsmax calls, I'm the first there. And, and I get beat up a lot in that on Twitter. You know, what? What are you doing? And, you know, no, you have to. Some, we some, all have to. Somebody puts up a picture of, of me in the green room and it shows Daniel in the lion's den, this kind of stuff. And I say, look, you know, we've got to do this if otherwise, you know. And, and so figuring out a way to come to a, together as a country when the country's never been so divided, I think that's right. going to be a challenge. And, well, Dr. Peter Hotez, you give me hope. Thank, Thank you. you so much for all that you do and for being a part of the podcast. 
And really, you're now part of the fabric of this country and the health of this country. So thank you. Thank you. And thanks for all your advocacy and amazing work over the years. I'm always here. Call on me if I could be of service. Thank you. So science isn't partisan. I want to say that again. And I want you all to hear it. Science is not partisan. This disease doesn't care who you voted for or even if you voted at all. And it's miraculous that we have such brilliant scientists here who have earned their expertise through years of schooling and work. You don't know better than they do. None of us do. And they are all telling us the same thing. Get vaccinated. The vaccines are safe, effective, and can keep you and the people you love out of the hospital or worse. They're telling you to wear masks when you are in places likely to have a lot of the virus. These are just simple things. I think of my grandparents' generation who had to ration gas and aluminum to support the nation during World War II. It wasn't political to them. It was, it was patriotic. Getting vaccinated is patriotic. Wearing masks is patriotic. Vaccinating people in countries which can't afford the vaccine or can't get it because we've hoarded the world's supply is patriotic. It is the, the very definition of Americanism. So please, 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 I'm begging you, help us take care of each other before it is too late. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you all who joined us in our live studio audience. New episodes of Sorry Not Sorry drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like us, please rate, review, and spread the word. I'll see you next time. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our associate producer is Ben Jackson. Editing and engineering by Natasha Jacobs. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. That's my boy. Please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. 